You may have been to summer camp, but I'll bet you've never been to rock and roll fantasy camp. Music producer David Fishoff has been bringing rock star hopefuls to his fantasy camps to be tutored by some of the world's most famous musicians for over 20 years. And now there's a movie about it. I spoke with director-producer Doug Blush about this very cool documentary that features superstars like Roger Daltrey, Alice Cooper, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Nancy Wilson, Joe Perry, Jeff Beck, Slash, and, well, you get the drift. It has changed many lives, and we think you will have a great time listening in to how it got made and how you can watch it, all while supporting a theater near you. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, Conversations with host Serena Catania. Welcome to OWC Radio. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. You're not going to say anything different, right? I would smack you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Has anybody ever said, God, I really don't want to be here? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, 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 we're very lucky that we enjoy what we do. You know, I, I, it's not every morning that I wake up feeling this way, but many mornings it's like, I can't believe we get to do what we do, you know? Yeah. Um, particularly working in documentary, I, I always feel like this is, this is a golden time. A lot of people have called it the golden age. There've been several golden ages of documentary, but just that convergence of all the good things that are happening with cameras and editing and the ability to travel easily. And, and, you know, not during COVID obviously, but there's, there's so many opportunities for people to get documentaries made now. So it's been an amazing 20 years of kind of this, this rising tide of docs and uh, just lucky, lucky timing that, uh, that that's my chosen field, you know? Tell us a little bit before we get onto the movie about your company and the kind of films you've been involved with. You've won some pretty prestigious awards. We've we've had some good times. Yes, uh, I, I, fortunately, and part of the thing about documentary that's so great is the people who work in doc are really a giant family. A lot of people know each other, and um, fortunately, I got to know some some great directors, some great teams over the years in my different kinds of work as, as everything from camera and editing to producing and even, you know, directing. Um, and along the way, you know, we formed a company, my wife and I, uh, to do media and to do particularly documentaries. We always really wanted to do documentaries. And that, that company was founded in 2002. It's called Mad Picks Films, and it's named after my daughter, Madeline. She is, I, I think she's unofficially the CFO or something of our little company. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's been, uh, we're coming up on 20 years. We can't believe it. We've, we've uh, been around a long time, worked on a lot of different things. Um, on, on my side, I think I've done, and I'd have to check IMDb, but I think I'm over 160 feature films that I've worked on in some credited capacity. Uh, again, literally almost any credit you can imagine, including some, sometimes it was a day of work or sometimes it was a week, but uh, other times I've been on films for years and I mean years uh, on and off to get a documentary done. Rock Camp is one of those that took a long time. Um, And it's, uh, it's just been a really amazing adventure because we're a small company that does big things. You know, we work on a lot of films all over the world. Uh, We've had films that I've participated in under, under other company flags, like, uh, Morgan Neville's uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, 
which came from Tremolo Pictures, you know, and that one went to the Oscars. We won for Best Documentary back in uh, 2014 and uh, worked a lot with uh, Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering, who have a company at that time was known as Chain Camera Pictures and now is also known as Jane Doe. Um, and they, they produced some of the most hard-hitting documentaries in the world. I mean, nobody makes them better than Amy and Kirby do. And uh, I worked on Invisible War and The Hunting Ground, which are really kind of seminal films in investigative journalism and actually changing the world. You know, we, we honestly believe those films have made a major difference in how, how people, you know, deal with each other and how rules are made, uh, specifically around different issues of sexual assault. So we're really, really happy that we can have that impact. Um, and then a real pride and joy was winning uh, uh, for a short film that was uh, we just won a couple of years ago for a film called Period, End of Sentence, about uh, girls in India who are finding their voice and their freedom as uh, they take over the means of production for sanitary products because they're denied those things. And um, now they, they have access to them because they make them themselves in a factory where they're making money uh, for themselves and in their own little micro factory. Um, and in fact, the one of the great things about the film is at the end, they employ the men and they count the money, which is great. Uh, so, uh, you know, when that one, that won the Oscar a couple of years ago for the best short doc. So yeah, we've had some, some great times with, um, with different awarded films and a lot of just beautiful films that have been out there and have affected people. Um, and it's just a joy to do this kind of work. So I'm, I'm kind of thrilled that it's all worked out the way it has. I, I wouldn't have predicted this, you know, 20 years ago when we were just starting the sort of tech revolution that made it all possible. Yeah, there was a time early on when documentary was considered sort of a secondary um, genre. Absolutely. And yep. <laughs> I now I know so many people who that's all they watch is documentaries. They're they're tired of the other genres and they pretty much stick to docs. So, yeah, thankfully. I mean, I'm I'm always grateful when I hear people say, "Yeah, I basically have a giant Netflix queue of 50 docs and maybe I'll watch one fiction thing once in a while. And that's, that's like, yes, that's music to my ears. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, I remember in the nineties, you know, there was a time when if you said, Oh, I'm working on a documentary and you know, people would say, Oh, what, what are you working on for money? You know, <laughs> or what, right. what's your real job? Right. And the, that was not that far from the truth. There weren't that many people doing docs full time. There were some amazing artists and there still are. I'm friends with some of the wonderful people who are working, you know, all the way back from 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, but it's different now. You know, there's a market for these things and people have realized the worth. Uh, so many great stories are getting made. Um, there's access to places and subjects that, that things, things we couldn't make before we can make now with the new tools that are out there. And I, I always say that the thing that made it possible was the democratization of editing. Because um, you can remember going to a big glass building in the 90s uh, when you had to you know, rent avids you know, from a from big, store, big shop and, or you had to go into a bay and you couldn't do this stuff at home with a, with a simple system. You know, it, was, it was major, major investments, hundreds of thousands of dollars to own an Avid and there wasn't much of an alternative, you know, Premiere was just starting and uh, Final Cut didn't exist yet. So um, those were, those were early days and things just changed really quickly. Uh, I, I was part of that wave and you were too, I know where yeah. suddenly we had access and it's all about access, right? And so somebody in the middle of the country somewhere who never had access to big Hollywood studios, 
could make a movie if they felt like it. And that was really special. It was a really revolutionary time. And it's exciting. Every time somebody says that phrase, democratization, I think about working on a film from my apartment in West Hollywood and mm-hmm. renting an Avid system for $5,000 a week, and it took three guys <laughs> to carry it in. Yeah. You know, right? Because yep. they had to bring... It ha- you had to have special furniture to put it on, and then you had all these components, uh-huh. and it was really heavy, so they would drive up in a little truck, and then they would haul that thing up, and yeah, it was expensive and heavy yeah. and cumbersome. I mean, we did oh, great work yeah. on them, but what's your primary NLE now? Are you pretty much multilingual, so to speak? Or Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very agnostic about that because mm. I, they, they all offer something that's, that's great on their own terms. I mean, I've used them all and I keep my eye on the new ones that are coming out too or the new modifications and, and, and features that come out. But I love them all. I mean, you know, Rock Camp was cut on Adobe Premiere, but I've cut some amazing films and some big award winners on Avid and um, Final Cut, both the, the old days, the OG version and the, uh, the new version. We've had films on both of those. Um, at least one or two projects came through DaVinci already, uh, which is really? exciting. You know, it's coming up. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of change going on. Um, I mean, it, I always tell my students, because I do teach uh, this stuff too, uh, that you, you don't want to be just sort of chained to one platform because you're going to see them all in a typical film career now, you, unless you work 100% forever in the same studio and they are all 100% one platform forever, which is not entirely likely, um, you will, you will need to know it all. So there's no bad knowledge out there. Mm-hmm. Um, know the tools cause it's your paintbrushes, right? So, uh, but, but I don't really favor one over the other. I, I think Adobe's been doing great things. Avid's new update, the 2020 is fabulous. You know, there's lots of great features in it. Um, Final Cut 10, I'm, I'm not, I don't use it as much, but people who love it really love it. They love the way it lays things out and works. Um, and DaVinci is coming on strong. Uh, plus it has the bulletproof, amazing color power of, of DaVinci, you know, the, of the ecosystem. So um, I, I, I don't really favor one over the other. I always think that that's, that's a waste of time to do platform wars. Just cut a good movie. You know? Yeah, tell a good story. When did you realize yeah. that you wanted to edit? Yeah, that's a great question because I'm not even sure uh, <laughs> what happened. Well, was, I guess the better question is how did you get started in telling stories yeah. and when did you decide yeah. to become? Because you're, you, you actually are doing much more than editing now, too. But So how did you get started in telling stories? I mean, I went to USC film school after growing up making, you know, films in my backyard with my uh, with my dad's Super 8 camera. You know, it was, it was one of those things where it really was homegrown, you know. And I got into USC film school uh, coming up coming out from Michigan, you know, and, and not knowing anybody. But I got into that that prestigious university. Uh, and that program, of course, is like mega boot camp for how to be a filmmaker. Um, and that's partially where I learned that I love documentary was was in that program. And I, I started out like everybody wanting to be the latest, you name it, you know, uh, Sidney Pollack or, or Spielberg or whoever. And by the time I got to the end of the program, I really had fallen in love with docs. And I had worked on a few. 
Um, uh, in fact, I dated a, a wonderful woman who was a documentary filmmaker at that program. And I think she was kind of the, the, the person who really got me permanently locked into the idea of making documentaries. Um, and, uh, we're still friends. Uh, she lives up in Alaska and she's amazing. Um, and, and, you know, from there, it became kind of clear that if you wanted real power in making your films, you had to have post-production, you know, the cameras, you could beg, borrow and steal a camera for a weekend, but the time it takes to edit a movie, especially a documentary, you need access to post, you need access to, to editing. And it just happened to time out that home editing or, or reasonably good home editing started to be real about the time that I realized this. So I, um, I went down to the bank and took a loan out and got myself a media 100 back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was broadcast quality. You know, you could deliver real broadcast out of that thing. And I always say that that was the, the ATM machine that bought my first house, that thing. Do you remember the manual that used to sit on your desk? That oh, was like that yeah. Philip and Greg wrote. Did, did you ever get that? Yes. The one that I have the original, I still have the original edition. You're kidding. <laughs> I love it. Oh my I God. I, you have to send me a picture of it. I want, I want to show that to them. The big eyeball with the feet. Yep. Yes. Somewhere, somewhere in this lab, I have that original thing. And I, I tease, I actually tease uh, Philip and Greg about that. Is that. I have the original, I have the binder. I have the one with the binder. Oh my yeah. gosh. And, uh, I have the original Media 100 hat somewhere. Yeah. I, I was all in. It was so cool because Media 100 was a great company back in the 90s, and it, it, it broke that boundary, you know. Avid was, was still really expensive and great, you know, but affording time on an Avid was, like you say, giant machine coming through your door, the yeah. furniture and giant mags and everything. And Media 100 was kind of DIY. It was a little punk, you know. And uh, I, I, when I set it up and got good at it, Suddenly, everybody's coming to me saying, oh, my gosh, I, I need this little thing cut. Can you cut this behind the scenes? Can you do my actor's reel? You know, oh, I've got a music video I want to do. And I swear it was it was almost like like dealing drugs. People would come with <laughs> bales of money saying, can you get this done by Monday? You know, and, and um, it was it was just fabulous in, that, in those days because there were not that many of us doing that. And there was this wacky community, right, of, of people who kind of stayed in touch on the, on the message boards in those days. Mm-hmm. And we would all figure out the bugs and report directly to Mariano when she was working at Media 100 in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was a really giddy time. It was sort of like the, the tech boom of the late 90s, you know, but for us. And uh, I'll always treasure those times. It was really great. Maybe we're all feeling a little nostalgic because of being uh quarantined so to speak i've been thinking a lot about my friends from those days and 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 it's it's awesome to talk to you because we've been kicking around each other for many for many years and i don't think we've ever really had a beer together or you know (laughs) we haven't sat it's that is overdue i'm I'm (laughs) declaring that right now Serena, we're gonna we're gonna make we're gonna make up for lost time. <laughs> yeah, I'm half Belgian. We have to get together with all our friends, and at some point when this is all over, we are having a party. Oh boy! So let's go back and let's talk about what is the movie Rock Camp. Well, it's it's one of those things where you you find out something that you hoped existed, and then when you find out it's really there, you can't believe it. Um, so the the premise is basically, what if you could you know, fulfill your wish that goes back to being a teenager in your, in your bedroom, listening to the radio. 
what if you could hang out and jam with your heroes from those days growing up with those songs that, that live forever in your head? And uh, a, a, a wonderful, wacky, and very, uh, and very connected guy named David Fishoff, who had come up through promotions, both sports and music, had the same dream. He said, what if I could make this into an experience? Like, people could really do this, and real musicians, you know, real rock stars would come and hang out and, and sort of garage band with their fans and actually form a band, not just stand there and sign autographs, but let's jam together. And what a cool concept, right? It exists. It exists and it has existed for over 20 years. Um, the first one was 1997 in Miami. And after that, it just grew and grew. And uh, David sort of the, the he's, he's the ultimate kind of P.T. Barnum ringmaster of this thing. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's just the, the most wild and innovative guy. He sort of figures out how to make it work time after time. Uh, and he's, he's gotten this legion of fans together who attend rock camps and, and new people are coming in all the time. There are younger people, teenagers who discover this music from all the way back to the sixties up to now. Um, the camp counselors are all ACE musicians. These, these incredible, like everybody from great session players to people who've toured with the biggest acts. And they work with the bands up until, you know, the weekend where major, major rock stars come and hang out and actually jam with these bands. They, they, they rehearse and they, they prepare and they rehearse songs. They get ready for the big stage show and out will come, you know, uh, Paul Stanley to jam with the band or you get, uh, you know, Gene Simmons comes on or you, you get the guys from Iron Maiden or whatever. There's, there's uh, Judas Priest. You get these, these rock stars who are actually ready to get up there and have fun with these, with these camp participants. And people love it. The musicians love it. Roger Daltrey can't say enough about it. In the movie, he gushes about how, how much fun it is to do this camp. Um, and they, they really do. They show up, and it sort of restores that. Remember when I was you know, 16 and I had a bunch of guys in a garage? It's just like that. And sometimes it sounds like that. <laughs> That's the best part is not everybody has to be good. Um, but they do kind of gel and they come together and sometimes they really rock. Uh, there, there are some, some prodigies who come to this rock camp. Uh, we, we portray a couple of them in the film and, uh, they're good enough to be like touring, you know, or recording in the studio. And yet they're, they've got other lives, right? And, uh, they come to rock camp to live the life. How, how long does rock camp last every year? Do you know? It's, well, there there are all kinds of camps, and they're all okay. over the place. I mean, okay. David has taken it on the road. We've done, I mean, we David really has done uh, shows in Vegas and L.A. and New York and Chicago and Miami. Mm -hmm. Did one, in, did a couple in London, uh, Detroit. You know, he, he travels around with it, and he does stuff that's appropriate to the place he's going. You know, if he's doing London, it's going to be British rock, you know, British pop, whatever. Right. And if he's coming to L.A. and he does North Hollywood, it's going to be kind of heavy metal shred heroes, you know. And if it's Las Vegas, it could be more more glitzy and uh, it might be singer songwriter ones that are in, in Denver or something like that. Uh, Chicago, they did the blues, buddy guy. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. It's adjusted for where it is, you know. So these are people there. These are very famous, well-established rock stars i mean literal stars that come and sort of they have master classes and they mentor people who just want yeah. to learn more about how to be a rock star i mean you've got doctors and insurance reps and <laughs> yep there's one scene in there with david 
said that I'm laughing. He's on the treadmill and he's calling, <laughs> you know, Steven Tyler or whoever. He's, he's calling this whole list of famous rock people and saying, hey, you up for the camp? And it's hilarious. It's just hilarious. But then there's other times when I was watching it and it really got to me. You know, it's very poignant, too, because there's one family, there's the father and two sons who have gone through the camp. Yeah. And, and one of the sons, um, I, I don't know, he was he was born brain damaged. And there he is yeah. playing guitar on stage. And it's just beautiful to watch, you know. So when yeah. did you become involved in the film? Yeah, it's it's interesting because this happens with a lot of docs is docs take forever to make, you know, they, they can sometimes take as long as 10, 15 years, you know, depending on the subject. Thank you for saying that, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, because I have one that I've been working on for over 10 years <laughs> and I have another one I've been working on for about five years and people keep going, when are you going to yep. finish that? Well, you're dealing with yeah. live people, with people who have stories, right? So sometimes it takes a while. Anyway, oh my gosh, I'm very grateful to you for saying that. The truth is the story will tell you when it's done, right? Yes, and, exactly. and sometimes that story takes a long time to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, a, a dear friend of mine um, who I got to know when I got to work with him, at first I was just starstruck that I got a chance to work with him, but Michael Apted, who did one of the most amazing films in history or doc series in history called the up series uh that film has been or that the versions of that film have been coming out every seven years since the subjects were seven years old um started in england uh in the 60s and he he was just a like a i think he's a pa or, or an intern at the time at the bbc and then they took it forward from there and he every seven years he would go back and revisit these people and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to mention that because he just passed uh, last week. And, um, you know, a lot of there were a lot of tributes out there for him. Uh, he really revolutionized documentary with that. And also the ultimate testament to how long these things can really take to make, you know, um, yeah. that's a special case. But I've, I've been on Doc that took 10 years for sure. Yeah. And um, Rock Camp is one of those where when I came in, they'd been filming for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had filmed footage going back to the 90s. Uh, and, and with that kind of archive, it's like, oh, my God, we have the whole history of this amazing camp with all the artists who come and visited. Um, but they had been making the film for a little while. They'd been sort of playing with ideas. And I came in, uh, we were actually connected by, I think, the legal team that's helping the film. And they said, hey, can you come in and work with these guys? And I saw what they had and I said, you know, all the all the specialness of the camp is is in there, but we need really the characters to, to pop out. So we doubled down on picking some people who we wanted to follow and just see what their lives were like. And that worked out really well. We had some wonderful people like, uh, you know, the characters like Tammy and Pistol and Scott, who has the son you just talked about. And they opened their their homes and lives to us. So we would fly around the country and go visit them at their, you know, in their homes and see how their sort of rock and roll lifestyle is contrasted against like, oh, I'm a broker and I'm uh, I, I work for a, the, this kind of firm and I'm a, I'm a public servant. And all of these people kind of converge together and kind of let their hair loose at the rock camp. So it's really fun to watch that process of what the campers go through. I've been working on it now for years. I mean, I've, I've probably been involved for at least. I think I've been on for three years at least working with this. We have a great team, Renee Barron, my, uh, my co-director, who did a lot of work out in the field and shot a lot of uh, the material as well. 
Um, and then there, there have been people who've shot things over time that, you know, interviews with some of the rock stars. Uh, but when I got in, the real trick was to structure it and make it this, this story of these characters and these, these lives that go through this rock camp and how they're changed by it, as well as the rock stars and what they get out of it. Yeah. Tell me what your roles were on the film. What, what are your credits? Well, I, I certainly um, had a lot to do initially with just shaping the film and the story. And that goes under a lot of categories. But I ended up, you know, co-producing the film, co-writing the film and co-directing the film, along with uh, an amazing team, including Renee Barron, who co-directed and traveled with, uh, with me and the crew a lot. Um, and she, she shot a lot of the material in some of the camps. Also, um, there's, there's some other editors who worked on it. Uh, Josh Bayer, Miles Wilkinson, um, uh, Carrie, who's amazing. And, and uh, she did amazing work on this. Marissa uh, Hasper did, uh, did great work. Um, so there's a, there's a big team of people who are assistant editors and editors who put it together. Um, but Renee and I really put a lot of the film together. Uh, and I ended up finishing it. How did you share responsibilities as editors? How did you kind of divvy things up? She got a lot of the of the primary story figured out and, and sections and, and pods, you know, for different different characters. And then the real trick was, how are we going to shake all these together and lace them into one final film? And that's something I do on a lot of films. I, I come in and try to figure out what the structure is of a documentary, even one that's already way down the road. And uh, I'm famous for sometimes coming in and saying, you're great, just tweak these things, or I blow it all up and say, let's completely rethink the order and see where it all goes. So on this film, we kept trying different orders and different, different layers, and, and who do we keep in and who do we, who do we have to do less of? And uh, we finally got it down to a nice running time. So everybody contributed. You know, Renee's stuff is all over this. And uh, Josh did a lot. Of, my, my, my dear friend Josh Bayer, who's been editing with us for years, uh, did some fantastic editing late, and I did a bunch of editing as well. So, you know, it takes a village. A lot of docs have multiple editors. Um, there's usually kind of one primary. In this case, we we had a long process, and we had tons of archival, so many great AEs who came and, and really made it palatable to, to dive into all these years of footage. I was looking at all the sources going, okay, this is not easy um, because you have material from, as you said, way, way back from 20 some years ago, it was shot on totally different formats. I guess one of the questions is when you shot the new stuff, what were you shooting on? What cameras were you shooting on? And what format were you using? Yeah, I'll, I'll preface that by saying I'm proud that this film officially used every camera ever made by man <laughs> <laughs> from about 1995 till now. Oh uh, and I'm almost not kidding. I, I think we used Pretty much, you name me a camera, and there's some footage of that camera in this movie. Um, and that includes things like iPhones and, and the Hi8 cameras and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. And that's kind of rock and roll. I always thought, you know, if you're going to make a rock and roll film, it should be rock and roll. And everybody's got a different different axe, right? Everybody's got a different camera. Um, but, yeah, our primary camera, the, the one, the package that I own is the, um, I, I'm a big Canon guy. So I had Canon uh, C300s mm -hmm. on this. And, um we shot a little towards the end on the Canon C300 Mark II 4K. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of FS7 in there. We had some Panasonic in there. Um, we even had, I think one day we had an Alexa. We had, we had Alexa for a, a long weekend here, uh, or maybe it was a Mira. I don't even remember anymore. Um, but we, we had a lot of cameras and a lot of different looks, and that's, that's a tribute, too, to our, um, our finishing house, uh, Different by Design, 
which did a great job bringing it all together, making it look like one movie. It's not easy when you have this many sources. In terms of the color, that had to have been difficult. Uh, yeah, that was a process, you know, and, and we had an amazing colorist who really, really figured it out. This was uh, this was uh, uh, Brian Hutchins, who do, does amazing stuff uh, with different by design. Um, my friends over there who do amazing work on every doc. I mean, we basically if, if I have anything to say about it, we tend to go there because they're just so terrific um, and they solve problems. You know, we had a lot of a lot of footage that didn't want to hang out with other footage and they figured all that out and made it look really good. So. Um, and in the process, we had a lot of fun, you know, getting a, getting a look, getting like, what is, what does rock and roll look like? What is the color of that? And, uh, we got really creative with some scenes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's always fun to play. You know what I really liked about it? You turned these mega stars into people. Thank I'm you. looking at this list here. Alice Cooper, Roger Daltrey, Sammy Hager, Judas Priest, Joe Perry, Gene Simmons. It goes on and on. Nancy Wilson was in there. Tony Franklin was hilarious. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, so you took each of these people and you showed them mentoring the campers, calling them campers. Some of them, I don't, I can't say they're amateurs because some of them, like, what's the name of the drummer? The drummer that was so oh, good? Pistol. He's, pistol. Yeah, yeah. Pistol, pistol is probably ready to go on tour anytime. He's, he's just... And in fact, he talks about that. He, he, he was really close to joining Lenny Kravitz and touring with Lenny. Wow. And it was only because he was working on another gig that he didn't take that, that direction. That could have changed you know, his, his direction. He talks about that. You know, there's a big crossroads for every musician to, if you do this or if you do that. Uh, but Pistol's just a stunningly good drummer. And he's, still, he's drumming professionally. He does do gigs and things, uh, which is great to see that he's getting into that again you know, and doing that. Yeah, there's a scene where he's talking to his family about how important this was to him, and you can just see the family kind of tearing up. It was very sweet. Oh, yeah. It's there, very there sweet. There were a few tears on the road with this, and, and I love that when when it's so heartfelt that you can't help but kind of cry along with somebody who's really feeling something in the film. So we really went for that. We went for, where's the emotion of this? Where's where's the real love of the music? It's not just like a uh, a woohoo, it's a party. It's, it's more like a real emotional experience, you know? And when we just look through all those moments. You know, I always wonder with things like this that are almost music anthologies, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's so <laughs> many different pieces of music in here. Your legal team must have had an incredible journey to try to get permission for all of this music. Oh, yeah. Well, kudos to them. I mean, with, with, uh, without our, our hardworking lawyers, we would never get these movies done. And uh, yeah, some very good and, and very sweet negotiations in terms of getting rights to some songs. The band certainly helped, you know, the ones who love Rock Camp. Um, it doesn't hurt when the artist is, is totally on board and really loves, you know, the representation of what, what they look like there and how they, how they give back. So I think there was a lot of goodwill. I think David has brought a lot of goodwill through the rock camp over the years. And so it was easier than some films to get those music rights. He's a good guy and he's smart. I mean, I don't know him personally, but yeah. from what I'm seeing in the film, he seems like he just loves what he does. And uh, I love yeah. the scenes of him on the motorcycle. <laughs> there's, like, there's so many fun things in here. Um, yeah. yeah we 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 had a lot of fun shooting the uh, we we call it the um, yeah the uh, the um, Havana Gila uh, uh, motorcycle ride through Beverly. 
And it was, it, what was so great is that David was totally up for it. And we rigged him with cameras. I mean, we had GoPros on his helmet and we had a GoPro on his bike and we had, you know, the, the car cam driving along. And it was, it was just tremendously fun because he was always up for everything. You know, he always wanted to, to try stuff and, and, and be a partner in, in making a really fun film. And he knew that he was, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's the classic showman and he really knows how to put on a show. Uh, at the same time, he has a really sweet story to tell about why music means so much to him, you know, with his father and being mm-hmm. a cantor and, and surviving the Holocaust. His dad, you know, came out of that. Mm-hmm. And um, and the fact that, you know, for him, music is sort of that connection to to all the stuff that he, he grew up with. So, you know, there's real human emotions here. That's why, I'm, that's why we do docs. We really love that part of it. Yeah, there's music is it really can change people's lives and you showing the mentor side of it. You're showing the mentee side of it and the strength of the music. It's, it's really fun. I really do hope that it does very, very well. I can't see it not doing well. So tell me about the, the journey with you're doing virtual screenings. How's that working now? Because the whole business is changing. Yeah. I mean, this was already starting to happen a little bit before COVID, but COVID's actually obviously forced our hand, especially in independent cinema. And how do we get our films out to people? So, you know, obviously the, the big answer is, oh, just go on Netflix, right? But that's not always, first of all, it's not a not an instant sell. You know, you don't automatically go on HBO or Netflix or Disney or whatever. You have to make those deals and you have to be noticed and it's very competitive. So, um, what we what we're doing and what I'm really proud we're doing is we're doing the theatrical release um, through, through digital cinemas. In other words, you know, your local art theater that maybe has been closed for nine months, they actually are doing screenings. And if you go to their website, they have all these art films or new releases that they're showing and you buy a ticket and you get to watch it at home. Uh, but the money is going to your local theater as well as you know to the to the film itself. So you're helping cinema kind of survive this terrible time if you go and buy a ticket and and you make um you make a journey to your own theater. Basically, uh, it's not the same. We know that. We wish we could screen in a in a theater, but we won't be able to for months. So we're doing the next best thing, and we're bringing it you know home to everybody who can who can attend. You know, I'm really happy about that because I want to see all these great independent theaters survive this it's not easy for them and uh, I mean, think how important that is to all the little downtowns of of america and those great old theaters so you know if people are feeling like they want to contribute and they want to have a rocking good time <laughs> buy a ticket buy a ticket to this you know it's, it's going to be on digital release for you know about a month and we'll play as long as they'll have us um and you can share it. Obviously, you can have a whole family sit down and watch it together. And it's uh, it is pretty family friendly as a film. I think even uh, even um, you know older older young kids can can handle it. Uh, there's there's nothing too scary in it. <laughs> I think it's inspiring to kids. You know, so where do people go to find tickets? Do they go on? Well, for example, does Fandango listing it, or do you go to the yeah, rock camp? Yeah, it is listed on Fandango. It's, uh-huh. it, what's interesting is it's a it's kind of a big release as far as digital cinemas go, and uh, I know at, at the main rock camp website, which is uh, the, uh, it's called rockcampthemovie.com, www.rockcampthemovie.com. There's a button right there. You press for tickets, and I believe it'll ask you where you are in the country, and it'll direct you to your local theater, which is really cool. Oh, there it is. I see it. Yep. 
Yeah, I see it. Rock Camp the movie, and you click on tickets, and then you can pre-order. You can play the trailer. Yeah, this is great. Yep. I love it. There and uh, more information about camp too. If you want, if you're interested in the camp, you know, um, obviously there'll be some people who will say, "I want to do that too," and and there's some links there to get to the camp itself and to talk to the people there about attending. What David's done too, which is parallel with the movie is that he's now doing virtual rock camp, which has been really quite successful. Really? And so these same rock stars, instead of being in a room, in a practice room where we can't be because of COVID, they're actually doing Zooms with, you know, you'll, you'll get a guy like, uh, like <laughs> you know, na- name your favorite. You might get Lou Graham or you might get Paul Stanley or, or um, you know, a, a buddy guy or somebody to come in and do a session with you on Zoom and you have a class, you know. Uh, so it's been really popular. Um, plus so many of our counselors, these, these amazing, uh, like longtime artists who've been playing with so many great acts, like you, you saw Tony and Teddy and Vinny in the movie that, and, and uh, some of the others who've been playing for years on the road. And now they're doing these, these sessions and you can get really, really good instruction from these. So it's kind of the best way to up your, up your chops in some ways, if you're a really serious musician. And if you just want to hang out and, and see how being a rock star feels, that's available too. You know, you just kind of get to get to hear stories in ways you'll never hear any other way. What a great idea yeah, this you is. Play, you, you play to a big crowd too. The, what's amazing is when we did the shows, uh, one was at the Roxy, you know, another one was at, uh, was, was at the Hard Rock Cafe in Vegas, you know, and these are big stages. These venues, they have like major acts come in and play these things. And here you are playing with some mega rock star, but it's you and your band playing to a screaming audience. And this, these place is usually full of, of, you know, not only families and, and people hanging out, but also people who are just coming by and are curious. And uh, it's, it's quite a real rock kind of thing. It's pretty cool. Uh, uh, you know, you get the real experience. Unbelievable. This is a great project, Doug. So it um, has been a wild ride. And I, I, I shout out to all our crew, you know, what a what an amazing job everybody did and, and just keep going and getting those stories right. The, the stories finally told us we were ready. And um, of course, David and Jeff, who did so much work to get this thing ready and David for hosting the camps and being who he is. Um, it was uh, it was quite a quite a fun ride. I mean, it, there's there's a lot to share here. And I grew up on this music. You know, this is this is the stuff that was playing on the radio when I would go to high school. And uh, to see this be real, you know, and to meet these these people and actually trade stories with them, you know, it's really special. It's kind of uh, coming home. So I heard a rumor that um, you use OWC equipment, and this is OWC radio. So I have to ask you, is it true? <laughs> I'm gonna admit right now, I am an OWC fanboy. I, I I pretty much rely on a lot of the the the, the fundamental OWC stuff, like the Thunder Bays, um, and and a lot of the hubs and the and the connectors and all the all the I've, I've modded my computers with OWC stuff. I've installed my own hard drives. Yeah, OWC, what I love about them is that it's, it's a real, they, they have that DIY spirit of, mm-hmm. of that early digital revolution we were talking about. You remember how we used to kind of build our own stuff and, yeah. and um, you know, mod our rigs and add goodies onto the thing. And I think OWC still has that DNA. You know, you can buy really cool kits that you can do it yourself. They, they tell you how to do it. You know, they, they, 
they are really on your side as a user. So I've always I've always respected OWC a lot, and they their stuff is amazing. I've got literally I'm sitting about a foot away from two spinning Thunder Bays right now, and behind me. I've got a big old jellyfish, a Lumaforge jellyfish, and Rock Camp was cut on a jellyfish. So it's all, it's, it's now an OWC film through and through. When we were doing our remote shoots at Rock Camp, we had like a war room that was just filled with, with gear and DIT equipment so that we could transfer, because we were transferring terabytes of stuff every day. Right. And we had a great crew just kind of literally just transferring chips nonstop as we were shooting. And to get that done, OWC was very kind to provide, uh, you know, some some great hard drive support and, uh, you know, uh, docks and equipment that we were able to use. So we were very grateful that they they came in and helped us out because um, it was it was like a war room. It really was. It was amazing that we got all that done that fast. OWC does an awful lot to help our community, both, you know, in film, television, music, not just corporate. They're not just corporate. They help they help all of the creatives out there, too. And I know Larry O'Connor really believes in what you're doing. He's very excited about this film. Oh, yeah. No, and, and thanks to everybody at OWC for the support. I mean, it's, it, it, it comes with real love and real, um, you know, that real hand, handcrafted thing that I think that's part of the reason OWC is so great is they, they believe in the independent artist and they really help us out. So, yeah, yeah they I, do. I can, very much happily recommend them yeah and then randy fuchs is there quietly in the background bringing people together i love that he's the one that actually got you and i together and i'm appreciative of that because we've been like i said circling around each other for years so what's next for you what's uh do you have something in the horizon are you taking a break now I, I wish I could take a break. You know, the, the, this was going to be a year um, with finishing up rock camp and a few other things. I was going to take a little time off because my daughter went to college, you know, and I, I was, we were going to take a little time off. And then, well, you know, COVID came along. So yeah. um, I've actually worked harder this year than I've ever worked, I would say. I've done more projects and worked on more amazing stuff with crews all over the world um, because I've got all this time on my hands. So why not work, right? So uh, we, we're, we've got a whole bunch of great projects coming out. Some I can talk about, some I can't. The, the one I'm really proud of outside of Rock Camp is a film called Mr. Soul, which is uh, this incredible story of one of the, the greatest unknown or, or less known uh, sources of, of the, the soul of black arts and music uh, in the history of television and of culture in general. And it's a, a film that's out. It's out now, actually. It's in digital release, and it's coming to PBS in February. Um, and we're also doing an Oscar run for it, so we're really excited. We're uh, we're getting seen by a lot of people, and uh, we've had crowds just go nuts. When, when we were able to tour it before COVID, we had literally the roof was falling in with people so excited about it, and people oh, were awesome. cheering in the middle of this thing. Wow. So um, yeah, it's, it's it's a film I'm really proud of. Uh, director Melissa Hazlip. It's it's a story of her uncle who started a, a show on PBS that was one of the greatest showcases for black talent in the uh, 60s and 70s. And some of the things in the film are so relevant to where we are at now. Um, When you watch the film, you'll go, oh my God, this feels like it's yesterday. It feels like right now. So I hope everybody gets a chance to see that. I'm really proud of that film. I ended up co-producing that with Melissa. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. It has been so nice talking to you, Doug, and I'm really excited about the release of Rock Camp. And I encourage anybody that wants to fantasize about becoming a rock star to go to to uh, rock and roll fantasy. So where do people go again? Tell us again where they can go to get tickets and where they can go to find out more about 
the movie, and where they can go to find out more about Doug Blush. <laughs> All of those things can be now. We'll start with Roxanne. And, and I just wanted to thank you. Thank you, Serena, for, for a great walk through, you know, some shared history together. It, it's always <laughs> nice to, to know that we've, we've traveled the same roads and that we have yeah. a lot of these same experiences. And yeah. I think a lot of people listening will also remember those days or, or they'll at least get to hear our, our stories of how it was and how it is, you know. Yeah. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, the, the movie Rock Camp, the movie is going to be uh, best found at www dot rockcampthemovie.com and you can buy tickets see our trailer find out more about rock camp all kinds of goodies there and definitely check your local theater because we're playing in a lot of them i just noticed the list and it's playing all over the country so if you look in your theater they'll have a link to go directly to a ticket purchase and then you can watch it when you want to pretty pretty cool system that's awesome and what about you uh, yeah, my, my, my wife and I and our, our, uh, our now 20-year-old company, Mad Picks Films, is at www.madpicksfilms.com. And that's M-A-D-P-I-X Films. P-I-X, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Check it out, everybody. There's some great videos up there and trailers. And you, the two of you, have an uncanny ability to pick not just interesting and motivating films, but you pick things that are really timely in terms of their news value and and helping other people in the world. And that's always really nice to see. I say break a leg for Rock Camp. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go find Mr. Soul and watch that. And uh, please do stay in touch and we'll bring you back on again. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I've been speaking with Doug Blush, multi-academy award-winning filmmaker, editor, director, producer, writer. I would say, let's just put him in the category of amazing creative for today. (laughs) I'm going to sign off. And remember what I tell you guys every time, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. Let's rock. You got it. (laughs) Bye, Doug. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for your time. Cheers.